we just open our hands, please? Lord Jesus, we just welcome you now as we come into a conversation with you and your word. You who are the living eternal word, come with your particular and specific word for this day. Come and open our hearts to you today. You have opened the door to us. We desire to open the door to you that together we might abide in your presence and receive all that you have in gift for this day. Speak to us now, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in his presence. I just want to add my, first of all, thanks to the team this morning for leading us into the presence of the Lord. Um, I want to add my welcome to Pastor Justin's, uh, particularly to the welcome lunch today. And uh, Liz will have at the back table here, uh, as you, if you're looking for directions to our home, uh, the, with Summit Avenue closed today, it'll just be slightly different than usual, but very simple still to get to our house less than two miles from here where a great meal is planned. And uh, we would adore, we would love to have you come and join us. It'll be a very relaxed time of just uh, sharing and being together and getting to know some other folks and just getting to know us and us getting to know you. So please, you are welcome. One other piece of family news uh, that uh, I have to share with you. Um, I, I've told you about Fiona, <laughs> my granddaughter. Um, well, I just want to officially declare, many of you, of course, are on those social media thingies, something called Facebook, or I don't know, whatever it is, but <laughs> I'm not on it. But anyway, I do want you to know that in July, I will have a second granddaughter. <laughs> granddaughter, too, is coming in July, and so Eleanor and Nate are expectantly waiting, and also Emily and Michael are expectant adoptive parents, waiting still for uh, that child to, uh, to arrive, but uh, be praying for them as they continue to await. And so our family is growing, and we are excited. All right, how many of you have a job of some kind? How many of you have a job of some kind? All right. You have an occupation of some variety. Okay. Um, how many of you uh, have an occupation uh, in your home that's a part of just being, you know, parents? How many of you? Parents? Those parents? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Students? Uh, <laughs> students? Okay. Um, uh, retired? Anybody retired here? Okay. All right. Have I missed anybody yet? Okay. The message today is for everybody who raised their hand. All right. So, this morning we continue our Lenten series on growing maturity. And I am so excited because this is the first message in the series I've had the opportunity to preach. Oh, it's been a month since I've preached here at Bethel. I've been preaching elsewhere, trust me, but I'm glad to be back home and glad to be sharing the word with you today. 
I'm really excited. This year, our theme scripture is out of Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This morning, I prayed again, as I've been praying frequently during this growing maturity, that our roots would go deeper, that our trunk would get thicker, that our branches would grow wider, that our leaves would grow leafier, and that our fruit would ripen and mature. And that continues to be my prayer over this house. So this uh, series that uh, Andrew Gross, one of our elders, uh, introduced us to a few weeks ago uh, is about growing in maturity, growing maturity. And the definition of maturity that we've been using is loving God, loving people, and loving ourselves freely and fully. If you haven't yet picked up, in fact, uh, is there a, somebody back here in the back? Uh, Caesar, could you go grab? Um, on the back table back there, there are some uh, of our um, growing maturity. No, not that one. But there's the whole booklet, the growing maturity booklet. Um, how many of you could use, we have a, a Lenten adventure workbook, something that just kind of to go alongside of the study, something that you can uh, look up some scriptures at home and do some reflection questions on and maybe an opportunity just to, to, to spend some time. If you need a growing maturity workbook, would you just lift up your hand and Caesar's going to help you find that. Okay, just keep those hands up until he finds you and I'm going to keep talking. So maybe somebody else could help. Stan, could you help? Caesar, thanks. As long as you're standing already, Stan. Stan is standing, and you can get this side. So keep those hands up, and they'll find you. All right. So loving God, loving people, loving ourselves freely and fully. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ben shared a message on spiritual maturity. And uh, I'm not going to unpack his message. I would encourage you to get that. But a couple of principles that we're operating under here and, and kind of as a starting place for maturity. And keep those hands up. There's people down front, all the way down front here too, Stan. So keep coming. All right. Um, living freely means to live with nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to prove, nothing to lose. Now just let that settle in your spirit for a minute. What would it be like to live before God before people, before ourselves, with nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. Uh, We may have run out of... uh, Did we run out? Did we run out? Okay, so sorry. If you would let Liz know after, we will make sure that you get some copies of that. All right, sorry about that. Forgive us for running out, but there we are. That's good. All right, so living freely with nothing to hide, nothing to fear nothing to prove, nothing to lose. Living fully means with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving God, loving others as ourselves with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the practice that Pastor Ben had introduced to us and is in your your booklet is the examen, which is a uh, a classic spiritual discipline, which simply asks a couple of questions throughout the day. You can do the examine, which is, where is God moving and how does he want me to respond? 
Um, where, where do I sense the Spirit? Where did I feel alive today in the Spirit? Um, what a beautiful testimony from Tracy this morning, just experiencing that on a daily basis. All of us have the opportunity to experience the wonder of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives on a daily basis, not just here on Sunday morning, but throughout our lives 24-7. Where is God moving and how does He want me to respond? Now last week... Pastor Dale Van Stienis, our outside apostolic oversight person, came to share with us about stewardship maturity, talking about our time, our talents, and our treasures. And he gave us some very specific principles. First of all, ownership, that God owns everything. Say that with me. God owns everything. That is a a fundamental principle that will radically transform your life if you allow it to begin to penetrate into your spirit. Therefore, because of his ownership, he has given us responsible, responsibility. We are, responsibility literally means the ability to respond. That's what responsibility means. So we respond with stewardship and we're responsible to steward well the time, the talents, and the treasures that he has given to us. We have an accountability. We will be held accountable for our stewardship of his trust. And the rewards will be that we will be rewarded in eternity according to our stewardship here on earth. All right? So ownership, God's own owns everything. Responsibility, our stewardship of that. The accountability is we're held accountable for the stewardship of his trust. He entrusts us with this time, talent, and treasures. Everybody's got the same 24-7. We all have the same time. We may have different length of years, but we all have time. We all have talents, specific things that God has placed in us. We're going to talk about that a bit more today when we talk about vocational maturity. And treasures, the resources that he has given to us. And we are held accountable for our... our our stewardship of that trust, and we will be rewarded in eternity according to our stewardship here on earth. We live for the line, not for the dash, as Randy Elkhorn says. Now, we had a specific practice, and again, I'm going to need um, Caesar and Stan, if you'd be standing up and grabbing those cards. If you were not here last week, could I invite you, please, if you were not present last week, you weren't able to be here, would you just lift up your hand? Just lift up your hand if you were not here last week. And would you please give two cards to each person with their hands raised, okay? Two cards to each person with their hands raised, all right? The practice has to do with secret generosity, blessing someone without them knowing, and consistent generosity, which is God's promise card, all right? Two to every person, Stan, and I need one of those, all right? So this this card that you have in, you're getting in your hands or some of you had from last week, you're getting two cards because one of those we're inviting you to to fill out and sign for yourself and the other is to perhaps sign and give to a friend or someone else to help in this issue of mutual accountability. So let me just uh, review for you what it is that we're doing. My part is to test the Lord in obedience to his word. 
I've shared before that this is something I learned as a child, and it is something that I've practiced throughout my life, and I can tell you that God is faithful. This is a place, the only place in Scripture where the Lord says, test me, has to do in the area of giving, because our finances, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Jesus, the Lord knows that our treasures are a place that have a significant impact upon our heart. Jesus spoke about money more than anything else other than the kingdom of God in the New Testament. The Old Testament is chock full of scriptures around um, money and the appropriate stewardship of those resources. So this isn't about, this isn't about um, Bethel Christian Fellowship Uh, having more resources for our use. This is having more resources available for the use of the kingdom and for our mutual together growing maturity. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Does that sound all right to anybody else? So my part is to test the Lord in obedience to his word. I will give a tenth. I was, at, um, I was at Bethel, Minneapolis last Sunday night, which was wonderful, and Andrew Howard, the, um, the finance ministry coordinator there at Bethel, Minneapolis, invited this challenge to the uh, Bethel, Minneapolis congregation, which I would invite you into as well. April 15th is coming, tax day. Why don't you take a look at your taxes this year and ask the Lord and, and look at your giving in light of your tax return and ask the Lord, Lord, am I being obedient? Is this okay with you? Or is this a place for me to grow in obedience to you? Now, I know that I've I've been told that in uh, conservative or orthodox Jewish congregations, they take the tithing so seriously that you actually have to present your W... uh, What's that called? Your W-2? form you have to you have to bring your tax return to the person in charge of the treasury at the synagogue now we're not asking anybody to do that okay so you're okay all right but we would ask you am i giving a tenth and this is a challenge to say i will give a tenth i will give offerings above and beyond that that's the tenth is not a ceiling, it's a floor, it's a place we begin in giving and stewardship. People say, well, the Old Testament says tithing, the New Testament doesn't say anything about tithing. The New Testament, the, the demand of grace is much higher. The demand of grace is everything is his, and what do I get to keep, not what do I have to give. All right? That's truly the demand of grace. So I'll give offerings, I will give benevolence. There are many, many people in our congregations here and in the community at large in need, we have the opportunity. We give away thousands and thousands of dollars every year in benevolence needs within our congregations. And it's a wonderful opportunity. And the Lord says, I bless those who bless the poor. So God's part is to bless me according to Malachi 3.10. Our part as members of the Bethel family will encourage one another to be obedient to his word, growing in mature stewardship as individuals and as a church family. And at the bottom it says, I'm trusting that as I give, it will be given to me a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, poured into my life, so that I can continue being a conduit through which the blessings of God will pour. So you could sign it, you could even put your card in here in the ask box and ask the Lord to show you and ask the Lord to increase your heart 
forgiving. I loved what, I mean, Dale spent very little time on the finance part last week. He spent most of his time on the time and on the treasures, the, on the uh, time and talents. But the one thing I loved what he said about treasures, and one, his, his prayer for this house is it will be known as a house of lavish generosity. I love that. Wouldn't you love that? So I invite you into the practice of giving according to God's promise here. A tenth, your offerings, and benevolence. All right. This morning, we're going to be talking about vocational maturity, which is why I invited all of you to raise your hands. Those of you that, were, uh, that, that had something, I think everybody's hand got raised one way or another. And uh, maybe there's children in here and... You don't have a job, you're not a, st- you know, even little ones, you eventually will have this opportunity. Vocational maturity. First of all, we need to define what vocation means, because I, d- I think we mix it up, and so I'm going to give you two definitions to help you kind of frame our study this morning. Vocation literally means the call to which we respond. Vocere in the Latin, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, means to call. It's the word klesis, K-L-E-S-I-S in the Greek. It's the same word that's used here in 1 Peter 2.9. Listen carefully. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, God's special possession or a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Say together with me, he called me. He called me out of darkness into light. Therefore, every single one of us have a calling to which we respond. And that calling is to be his people and to be his priest. You got more? We got more. So if you didn't get one of those, Ernest, help me, please. Um, if you did not get a, a full, uh, one of the booklets, raise your hand. We got them now. Liz is so on top of this. Thank you, Liz. Bless Liz. This is why we love. This is why we love pastoral assistants. They're doing their thing. They're assisting. Thank you so much, Liz. All right. So if you need that, raise your hand. All right. We are called by God to be, first of all, his people and secondarily his priests. Both of those are absolutely significant for understanding calling. Because if we don't understand this, we're not going to understand anything else. So let me pause here for a moment and explain this carefully to us. To be called to be his people, as it says in John 15, abide in me. It is out of our union with Christ. It is out of abiding with him. It is out of our union with God through Christ that our calling comes forth. So it's really from the inside out. It's not simply what you do, it's who you are. It's not simply what you do, it's who you are. It's not simply what you do, it's who you are. It's not simply what you do, it's who you are. Come on, somebody talk to me. He 
So much of the time we're thinking of vocation as a to-do, but the first piece of this is a to-be. It's actually who you are. And as you grow in union with Christ, as you grow in communion with God, you grow in your vocation and your calling because you will walk more and more and more in the light of His presence. And you and I are His priests. Now, I've shared about this before, but let me remind you, because we think of a priest as the guy with, well, in, in, in some circles, it would be the priest as the person with the robes on. In our kind of settings, it's the guy or the gal who stands up in front with one of these on their ear, a microphone. It's the person with the microphone. It's the priest. That's not true. We are a royal priesthood. What is a priest? Think of the simplest definition of what a priest is. Here's what a priest does and is. This is what you and I do. We are his people. We do priestly work. What is a priest? A priest is one who speaks to people on behalf of God and who speaks to God on behalf of people. That's what a priest is. A priest is one who speaks to people on behalf of God and speaks to God on behalf of people. So in your workplace, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood, you can be a priest of God. Because you can speak to people on behalf of God. Not a, thus saith the Lord. But a simple, you know, God, God loves you. And you can speak to God on behalf of people. You can simply, you know, somebody at work is hurting their family situation, whatever, their body. And you can simply say, let me pray for you. I have had probably, I've asked hundreds of people if I could pray for them. Probably I could count on one hand the number of people who have said no. Please don't. Honestly. Okay, so here's where, so let me, I'm separating this out so we're not confused. Then we have our occupations. That should be a S there. Occupations. The work to which we are engaged. Whatever that work is. We all have occupations. Maybe a occupation or but we're, the, the kind of the hats we wear. And that, of course, is in our society, that's the first question we ask after somebody's name is, what do you do? Now, that would not be true in African culture, at least from what I understand. The next question that you would ask after somebody's name is, who are you a part of? (laughs) Who's your family, right? Who's your community? But in America, it's all about your occupation. What do you do? Right? Well, what we do is the work in which we're engaged. So some of us are plumbers. All right? And some of us are drummers who work at Menards. All right? Yeah. All right? Some of us are students at McAllister. Have I told? I love McAllister students, by the way. Love you guys. All right. And at St. Kate's, too. Okay. All right. We love St. Kate's students, too. And Northwestern. And Bethel. Okay. You got the point. All right. All right. We love you all. All right. St. Paul College. All right. Okay, okay. 
All right. Psalm 90, verse 17 says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Each of us have work in our hands that we've been given to do. And we say, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. So here's the, here's the, I love this. Liz, you did something beautiful here. We are called by God to live out our vacation through our occupations. Isn't that beautiful? We love that. That is perfect. (laughs) What's that? Tomorrow. Yes. Okay. Yes. I love when those happen. That's beautiful. Thank you, Liz. You made our day. All right. We live out our vocation through our occupations. We all have different occupations. We all have a singular vocation. We all have a vocation, a calling from God to be His people and to be His priests wherever we are in our occupations. Everybody tracking so far? Okay. So here we're going to run a little quicker now. So I needed to establish a foundation. We're going to look at three principles and one practice related to our vocation. All right. So first of all, our principles. First principle, covenant, the purpose of God's work. We need to understand this begins with the purpose of God's work. We can't talk about our work without first understanding God's work, which we express through the word covenant, his covenant with his creation. All right? So two pieces of God's work, the purpose of God's work. First is creation. It says in Genesis 2.2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work, say work, work, He had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his what? God works. He works in creation. Secondarily, as it says in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Jesus participating with him in this work, for in him, Jesus, because Colossians here, Paul's talking about Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, say all things, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before what? All things. And in him what? All things hold together. How many of you heard a repeating phrase? What was the repeating phrase? All things. Okay? So creation is an an expression of God's work. A secondary part of the covenant and so we, we, we begin with creation, but it also continues with redemption. And this is specifically the work of Christ. Turn to John 9. I want to give you the context for the passage I have up there. So if you've got your Bible, turn to John 9. John 9. This is important just for our discussion here this morning. It says, as he went along, I'm beginning in John 9, 1. He saw a man, blind from birth, 
His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is his day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one work can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I'm the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man called Jesus. The man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. And then he has this conversation with the chief mucky mucks all about that, who are investigating the healing. But I want you to notice what it says here. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed. What was the work of God? The work of God was to take this man who was born blind and give him sight. The work of God is the ongoing redemption of the creation which he has made. As it says... A little further in Colossians 1, which we read just a moment, he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself what? What? Reconcile what? All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All things. He's reconciling all things. This is the work of God. So here's the takeaway. God is a worker who is always creating and redeeming. This is, his, this is what he's thinking about. What is God thinking about in heaven? He's thinking about creating and redeeming. This is his always emanating from him is his life, which is always about creating and redeeming his creation, his people, us. All right? You have to have this principle, this foundation. If we're going to understand vocational maturity, we need to first of all begin with our understanding that God is a worker. Now, secondly, there is the commission. We usually just put the word all together saying commission, but I'm putting co and mission together as our participation in God's work. This is our participation in God's work. God's work has a purpose to create and redeem. We are now commissioned as his people and as his priests to participate in God in his work. Following so far? Everybody tracking? All right. This means that you and I have been given a passion There is something that God has put in us which is relentless in terms of its its kind of the way that we're wired. It's the thing we simply can't get away from. It's the thing that we enjoy doing so much that we just couldn't stop doing it. So 
For you created my inmost being, Psalm 139 says. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Your works are wonderful. He's created and shaped us. And I know that full well. Now, in, in uh, Ephesians, sorry, that's Ephesians 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have been created. Listen to this. We're God's handiwork. The word means masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to what? To do what? I don't hear you. What are we created to do? Which God prepared for us in advance to do. Now, usually when we think of good works, all we're, we're thinking of good works as in, um, you know, random acts of kindness kind of works. That's true. That's a part of good works. But I think we need to understand that this passage means more than that. This passage means that God has created you in a particular unique way. He has shaped you in a way in order for you to fulfill the passion to which he has called you. As a parent, I feel that my responsibility, my obligation is not to, you know, God didn't create my children in order that I could recreate them in my own image or in my own desired image. But rather, I feel my responsibility as a parent is to help discover when it says train up a child in the way that they should go. It doesn't only mean a moral framework. It also means a trajectory for their life. I'm paying attention to the way that God has created my children for the purpose of helping to launch them into the life that he has created for them to do so that they can have a participation in God's work in the world of creating and redeeming. For some of us, it's creating. For some of us, it's redeeming. For some of us, it's dreaming new things. For others of us, it's fixing stuff that's broken, whatever it is. When you're fixing stuff as a plumber, you are a part of redeeming. For that person whose pipes are broken, you are coming as an agent of redemption. Right? So your work matters to God, Rich. Your work as a plumber matters to God because you're participating in the work of God in the world. It's not only the guy with the microphone whose work is important. I love talking to James. James, where are you? Wave your hand at me. I love talking to James about his work as a city bus driver. And talking to Norm and seeing how their lives on the city streets are a part of redeeming those streets. James was a pastor at one time. Guess what? He's still a pastor. He's just a pastor behind the wheel of a bus. He's a priest of God, interceding on God's behalf for people who are hurting and speaking truth and life into people on God's behalf. Thank God. This, I, I feel like preaching today. Okay. And then partnership. So this is the key, is the partnership that we have in God's work. Look at what it says in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. To work it and to take care of it. Now, please notice something here. 
This commission of God, this partnership with Him, these words that were spoken over the man happened before the fall. Listen carefully. Work is not cursed by God. Sometimes we think that's the way it is. That work is a curse. It's not a curse. It's a blessing from the Lord because we get to partner with Him in His work of creating and redeeming whatever that looks like, whether it's an engineer or a nurse or a plumber or a teacher or a student, whatever it is that we're doing, we're participating as a parent, as a grandparent, as a neighbor. We're participating in the work of God in the world, working and taking care of the earth in which He's placed us. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, your good works, and glorify glorify God on the day he visits us. My contention is that Christian workers ought to have, they have to be the most productive and fruitful people in their job. Why? Because they're hooked into something that the ordinary worker doesn't get hooked into. That is the inspiration and the blessing and power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. So this doesn't simply mean, you know, it may mean that, you know, there will be opportunities and certainly there are opportunities in workplaces for us to to speak um, truth and, and, and even share the gospel or do all of those things with the people around us. And that may be a part of the invitation that the Lord gives us on particular occasions. But at all times, He gives us the invitation to be workers of excellence, workers of integrity. That's what vocational maturity means. I'm going to be the best at whatever it is that God has called me to do. Because He's the best and He's excellent. You get this? Are you seeing this? And that means your work matters. Your work matters. We have this huge gap between Sunday morning and Monday morning. And I believe the Lord just wants to nail that baby and just obliterate it. Because in God's heart, He doesn't divvy things up between secular and sacred. Right? Norm, did I hear an amen? Amen. Another of our great bus drivers right there. All right. So stop it, people. Let's stop that. We're called to co-labor with God in His work in the world. This is is incredible. We get to co-labor with God in His work in the world. That's what you students are discovering, where God is going to place you. And one of the things I love is where your passion and the world's need intersect. That's a good place to discover your occupation where you'll be able to fill out, uh, fulfill your vocation, your calling from the Lord. So if you're called to be, if, you're, if your occupation, if your passion is to be a business person, then God bless you. Be a businessman with integrity, a businesswoman who has excellence, a business person who will fulfill the call of God in the work. If it's a politician, if it's an artist, if it's whatever it is that God's called you, we're called to co-labor with God, God in His work in the world. And what is His work? Work. What are the two things that are part of His work? 
Creation and creation and redemption. Creating stuff, fixing stuff. All right? And it's God at work in that. The doctor, the nurse that's doing their work, they're not the healer. He is, but they're the hands that are co-laboring with him in the healing. The farmer is not the one who makes the plants grow, but the farmer is the one who participates with God in the growing of those plants. Oh, is, anybody, is anybody being helped by this? I'm being helped by this, okay? All right, so there's three things, three principles. We've got two of them down. Now we've got to place and plant the third one firmly here, and then we're going to race to home, okay? So we've got the covenant, and we've got the commission, and then there's the context. This is our place in God's work. This is, the, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where real life happens, is in real lives, in real context. This is what I love about the scriptures. The Bible is not a series of disconnected, nice sayings of some, you know, guru sitting off of the mountain. No, this is real life. And you and I live in real life. We have a context, the circumstances that we are in. I love this scripture in Acts 17. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history, the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. So God has established where we live, the boundaries. He's put those things. He has put the circumstances. You're here in St. Paul, Minneapolis, Twin Cities, wherever it is that you happen to live, you're here in this time, in this place, by God's ordination. He has set this in place for you. It's not an accident. You weren't born out of time. You're not living out of place. You're exactly where He intends. Last week, Pastor Dale spoke at our Corinne service. It was beautiful. He had a prophetic word for them. And just the word over them was, you know, God's brought you here to bless you and to be a blessing. To bless you and to be a blessing. You're not here by act. God's purpose. He's brought you here. God's put you here. He's put you in your workplace, in your situation, in your circumstance. There's a trust there that we have to come to, an open-handedness where we say, okay. It's hard sometimes. Because you may not like exactly where you are. I'm not exactly real happy on March 23rd to wake up to six degrees. Okay? Not real happy about that. But the woodpecker was pecking, so the, they're, they're coming back. If birds are singing, spring will come. Okay? And then there's constraints and opportunities. This is interesting. This, I, I want you to think about this. this is gonna, I, it would take too much time to unpack it all, but I want you to think about this. 1 Corinthians 7. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave? When you were called, don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You're bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person is responsible to God should remain in the situation you were in when God called them. 
Now, what does that mean? I love the way that uh, Ben Peterson in his uh, paraphrases this. He says, were you working in a, at the night shift at the parking lot when you were called? Do you hate your job? No big deal. If you get the chance to change jobs, go ahead and take it. But don't get so agitated trying to change your occupation that you lose your sight of your vocation. There are certain constraints upon our... There are certain limits. Oh, we're in America. Anybody can become president. Really? (laughs) That's a lovely thought. It's not very much reality. Okay? Anybody can be whatever you want. Well, there are certain limitations on us, but those limitations, God puts limits on us. He put limit on himself. Think about this. This will blow your mind. Think about this for a minute. This is what Philippians tells us when he emptied himself. When Jesus came, the incarnation is, we always think of the incarnation as beginning when Jesus was born. It actually began when he was a cell in Mary's womb. The God of the universe limited himself to a cell in a womb. And from that place of limitation, he burst forth to bring life to the world. You and I are always struggling against our constraints, our limitations. I do. I hate it. I'm struggling with being in my 50s and having a lot less energy than I did in my 20s and 30s. It's a limitation, which I'm not happy about. But guess what? It's reality, and it's a part of the way God's created us as human beings. And he invites us to live in the context of those constraints because those constraints actually create opportunity if we will allow him to transform our understanding. In my weakness, you are made strong. In my constraint and limitation. Because I can't do everything. Guess what? That's why you are a part of a body. Is because you can't do everything. Nor are you called to. You're called to be part of a community. Of a people. A holy nation. To do the work of God. Everybody catching this? So we're called to live out our vocation as his people and priests in the context of everyday life and occupation. That's what I want to get at. You're called to live out your vocation in the context of your occupation. You're to be his people and priests in everyday life. Everyday life. I love what one of our members said. You know, years ago, I've never forgotten it. When they said to me about that Romans passage, nothing can separate us from the love of God, they were struggling. They said, I get that death doesn't separate us. Sometimes it's just everyday life that feels like it gets in the way and separates me from the love of God. But in everyday life. Okay. Here we go. Here's the practice. This will be simple. And it's it's in your booklet. It has to do with service. Service is a practice. All right? Here's a scripture for you to put your head around. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Why don't we say this together? Can you just read this with me? Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So listen to this carefully. Our service is unto the Lord and benefits the people, the processes, and projects around us. Service breaks down the barriers between the sacred and the secular and releases the kingdom into the earth. I took a while to fashion that and write that down because it felt just right. So listen to it again. Worship team, come on up. Our service is unto the Lord and benefits the people, the processes, and the projects around us. You know it's from the Lord when they all alliterate, okay? We know that in my preaching, okay? So they're all peace. Help you remember. Service breaks down the barriers between the sacred and the secular, releasing the kingdom into the earth. So who are the people around you that God is calling you to benefit? What are the processes around you that God is calling you to benefit? What are the projects around you that God is calling you to benefit? You can add value in the world, whatever it is that you do. Many of you know my brother's a research chemist for 3M. He's one of my heroes. I love my brother Dave. He's, he's truly one of my very best friends and one of my heroes. And he's just recently got elevated to, he's a corporate scientist. So he's one of 30 corporate scientists out of 40,000 technical people at 3M. Okay, so this is like, he's got a BA in chemi- or BS in chemistry. I mean, he's, he's working with all PhDs, basically, most, mostly PhDs. But he's, he's, he's added benefit into the world. Every, every phone, every, every, every device that you have has his chemistry in it. Every screen that you've got has got his chemistry in it, one way or another. Okay, he's benefited processes and, 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 and projects and, and, and through that people. That's what it means to be commissioned and co-laboring with God, doing His work, creating and redeeming. Do you get this? Is anybody else encouraged today? I just wanted to encourage you today in your work to grow in that vocational maturity, to grow as a worker in God, to be His people and His priests. All right, now, food at my house is coming, okay? And if you haven't been to my house yet for a meal... I really want you to come today to our welcome lunch. Please do. Don't make me chase you down, all right? And um, Liz will be, wave your hand, Liz. I think they saw you earlier. But she'll be at the back table with simple directions. You'll just be taking Admil. It'll be really simple to get to my house, okay? And my wife will be there really quickly to help you get, and, and you know what? We love St. Paul and our third world roads. And our third world parking situation right now. So you may have to drop a family off at our door and then find somewhere to park. Um, But we'll get you within a block or so. And it's sunny out and it's nice and just come, okay? So, um, but we'll help you with that if you need help. And um, yeah, I'd like us, oh boy. All right, let's stand up. (laughs) 
before we, we're going to sing a song of declaration. We're going to sing Build His Kingdom Here Again, because that's just what I think God's saying right now. But before we do, I'm going to invite you, and whatever level you want to do, if you want to hold your hands way down here, I don't care. You want to hold them here, if you want to hold them up. Let's just hold up our lives before the Lord right now. Peter, can you get some air moving again in here? Thanks. Hold your hands up before the Lord. Lord Jesus, hmm, before I pray, if there's anybody here that you've not even started, you know, to commission with God in His work, we talked about at the very beginning that it begins with union in Christ. It begins with communion with God, which you can have, which I can have, because of Jesus and what He did. So, all of us, all of us, All of us, we're sinners. All of us, there's a gap between us and God. And Jesus has bridged that gap through his death on the cross. And he invites us into relationship with God. Today, we just simply say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus. I receive you in my heart. And I want to begin relationship with you. If you want to take that step today, I encourage you to do so. And come and talk to me or one of these folks down front right after service. And we will assist you in helping take that step. It's a simple step of faith into relationship with him if you've got a relationship with him you are his people and you are his priests so i'm going to ask the lord to take us and lift us into a place of understanding of that jesus i pray for this people in this house this day right here and those that will hear this via tape or in any other way through the cds through the web or whatever, God, whoever, Lord, I pray that you would elevate in our heart and mind and spirit today the reality that our work matters to you because our work is a participation and a partnership with you in your work of creation and redemption. And Lord, I bless these workers here today, your people, your priests, to go into their places of occupation with that vocation as called of you out of darkness into light. May we live in the light even as you are in the light. Ah, Lord, and with hands open, I pray that you be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit to be with you and yours. As you go, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your life. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. I bless you, people of God, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.